This is the Pink Floyd Fellas, featuring your fellas Pete and PJ, leading you through the journey of the world's most popular progenitors of progressive psychedelic rock, Pink Floyd. All right. Yes. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, oh God, what's their name again? Um, we looked it's like it up Alpha on the last one. Robot Two. Or yeah. Something. Thank you for the introduction, Alpha Robot Two. We appreciate it. It's great every time. Uh, no, go ahead and sit down. That's okay. I'm I'm trying to act like they're like Paul Schaefer or something introducing. You. Yeah. Uh, what if uh, we go had ahead Paul Schaefer on the show? I know it'd be great. In there, right, I mean, Paul? Talkbox yeah. PJ's almost yeah, Dave. Paul Schaefer. <laughs> He's just not around that often. But if just like three times an episode, Talkbox PJ had to jump in to comment on yeah. something or to do like a little guitar sting. Yeah. You're wild, Pete. You're wild. <laughs> we should not. Oh, man. Maybe we should. Should we get. Should we start being a drops podcast where we go? This would take so much work. But to go back through all of our previous episodes and pull drops. So then we have like a bank of like 20 of them. And then we can just drop in. Oh, you mean like this one? Peter eats on mic. Yeah, exactly. Like that one? Also, listeners are spared today because I ate my din din minutes before jumping on the recording with PJ. So I thought mm. I thought about eating on mic, and then I decided I didn't want that juicy Popeye's chicken sandwich to wait one minute longer. I wanted to eat that thing while it was piping hot. Was it good? Did you actually have a Popeye's chicken sandwich? <laughs> yeah, it was good. If man. so, that's very funny. They're the best. They're the best chicken sandwiches on God's green earth. I they're have. Excellent. I tried to eat at Popeye's one time. Mm-hmm. Because um, you love that chicken. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I love that chicken from Popeyes. You also. You um, like it Louisiana fast, which is a hooker that I know. <laughs> And that is the only thing fast about Louisiana is that hooker, you know, um, because I literally because she's always mind. late. <laughs> <laughs> she she arrives late and leaves early. Honestly, I don't know why I see her. It's a waste of goddamn money. <laughs> yeah, it's really expensive too. That's the thing. She doesn't charge by the hour. She charges by the visit. <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll show up at nine. It's nine hundred dollars. For the visit, and then she's gone by like nine, twelve, if I'm lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's plenty of time for you. <laughs> um, yeah, but I want some nice conversation afterwards. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what you're mostly in it for. Is the yeah. really? Uh, I'm gonna pay that much money. I need talks. to unload. Yeah, I need to unload all my all the gossip about my wife. <laughs> And how loving she is, and how annoying that is. I know it's so it's so like. Uh, it just feels like I'm trapped in a box of love. It's so ridiculous. So annoying. Maybe I should get out while I still can, Pete. Probably. Yeah, Yeah. no promises have been made yet. Um, well, and PJ, you know, so the engagement ring was given to your brother. Um, yes. Your brother, Melanie. And so, like, she has the engagement ring, or uh, your brother has the engagement ring now. And, you know, traditionally, like, that means that they're set. Because the idea behind the engagement ring, which I learned when I got married, (laughs) is that it is so that if when the husband in a traditional heterosexual marriage decamps in the middle of the night for parts unknown, then the wife in a traditional heterosexual marriage at least can go sell that ring and have some scratch. 
yeah. to take care of herself because obviously she ain't working or anything. So, of course, yeah. So, um, but all I'm saying is, you could definitely end it now, and you don't have to feel bad because once that rings on that finger, then then that just means true. basically it's just like a payment in IOU of like, hey, if I ever leave, this solves it all. And I could just take the ring too. <laughs> oh, see, I was assuming you were feeling guilty. <laughs> About leaving. No, but I want no, that you're money. Trying to, I need yeah, a little trying, seed money. You need to get that money back. Started. I get it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and screw them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So anyway, one time you went to Popeyes. Um, I waited in line. It was going to be this whole long thing, but uh, we already made jokes about it. But waited in line for 45 minutes, got up to the window, uh, made my order, and they said, oh, wait, do you have cash? And I said, no, I'm paying with a card. And they are like, oh, dude, our card reader's broken. <laughs> Um, and so after waiting, I will say after waiting in line for 45 minutes, like with two pe- cars in front of me, I then waited at the speaker box for probably another 20 minutes. Wow. Um, and this was really inconvenient cause you couldn't just go around people in this line. It was one of the oh. ones where it's like, if you're in you're it, trapped. you gotta be in it. Yep. Um, and then I said, Oh, okay, well fuck me. Right. And then I drove away because they didn't, they didn't, they didn't apologize. They didn't like yeah, offer yeah. like, Oh man, we'll give you like a some tacos or whatever they sell there for free um <laughs> you're thinking of uh taco bell i know it's easy to get taco bell and popeyes confused they're both they both hail from louisiana they both specialize in cajun cooking they're, uh they both are named after a famous comic strip exactly uh and then they both also think outside the bun so that being said you did just eat a chicken sandwich yeah, I take the bun off and put it on the inside of the chicken. It's like a reverse double down. <laughs> it's like a turducken, but it's yeah. uh, you shove bread inside chicken. <laughs> no, so that would just be like a turkey because you put stuffing in a turkey, which is the bread. Hey, I don't know what you do on Thanksgiving. I want... <laughs> yeah, I stuff my bread inside the turkey. Hey, now. <laughs> You're an all-star. You know what the funny thing about... Um, the Pink Floyd Wikipedia is, is that we're in nobody's era right now. Nobody's in charge. Um, <laughs> I think it says that the Roger Waters era is like starts in 1971 oh, yeah. or something. I also just Wikipedia to Wikipedia on accident. Um, I meant to look up. Is there a Wikipedia page for Wikipedia? There is. That's exciting. What does it say about it? Like, you're here, idiot? Yeah. Is that the whole text? Yeah. It says, go to an encyclopedia, dipshit. I guess I didn't know. I was thinking the Roger Waters era was later than that. Well, let's see. 1963 to 1965 is formation. 65 to 67 is early years. 1978 is transition and international success. And then... Oh, here we go. 78 to 85, (laughs) the Waters-led era. Which is just that's kind of what I was thinking. Right? Oh, the wall. Uh, and animals. Oh well, they don't put animals on here, but I've always considered am anim- anim- <laughs> I've always considered Are you animals. A baby. Yeah, because Roger Waters. I mean, he wrote most of their songs and lyrics, but animals was really like similarly to the wall, like a Roger Waters passion project in terms of theme. Even if the music wasn't fully led by him, the like 
theme and concept of all of it is similar to the wall in that it was just like this is what Raj wants to do. I guess so. it's just crazy to me that Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, and Animals are technically under nobody's era. Because to me, I feel like... Yeah. What do I think? That'd be the Davy era. Yeah, <clears> I would <throat> say that's the David Gilmore era. I mean, I don't know. So far, they haven't been a band that has like needed a leader for better or worse. Like they had one with Sid and that Those albums I think sucked. is arguable about whether the music was that good, but I think it was definitely good. Like, I feel like the guys liked having, you know, him as like a, a focal point in terms of their direction. Cause they struggled a lot. They still kind of have struggled. They, I, like, I still feel like by Adam Hartmother, they don't fully know still what Pink Floyd is. They're just kind of making music. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And so, but it's weird because they, they both don't have a leader, but then they aren't fully the thing where it's like, well, they're just a band. So they're just working together and like bouncing off each other to come up with these. Like yet, I think yeah. Dark Side of the Moon would probably be the start of that two or three album run of them being like a perfect, a great band together. But I guess I'm I'm kind of agreeing with you where it's weird that they don't have a leader, but they're also not like just a a good band at this point. It's just kind of like four dudes making music together yeah. and somehow making making it work. To me, it's like if you know you have old jazz albums that's like Count Basie and his orchestra, or it's like a Miles Davis huh. album. So there's somebody in charge. To me, this is like four yeah. jazz musicians who are like, oh, no, I'm in charge. Um, yeah. And they just... Uh, and actually, no one's yeah. in charge. Everybody's in charge yeah. and no one's in charge. I'm trying to think now of... I'm like, I feel like there is... I mean, I guess it's kind of the era, like the the post-Brian Beach Boys era. Um, like from... Uh, what's the album? God damn it. Sunflower. Like, so the Sunflower, the Carl and the Passions, the Holland, the like surfs up era Mm -hmm. where like no one was in charge. They were just coming into the studio. There were a couple Mike tracks, a couple Al tracks, a couple Carl tracks. And they like, kind of put everything together, but it still did feel generally like they were working together, like as a band, you know what I mean? Like, like it didn't feel like everyone was just bringing their two songs and working on them alone, which it does feel like with Pink Floyd, like, and that's kind of where I would equate with Pink Floyd. where like, they're, they're moving along. They don't have a leader, but they're also not just like working fully separately, but you're right that there's no, like, I'm trying to think like, yeah, even pretty democratic bands usually do have one or two people that are like, well, yeah, they're the person who yeah. like makes the decision at the end of the day. And it's almost never the drummer. <laughs> oh, that's the band, uh, I guess. The band, probably. Although, what's the other guy's name? I feel like they kind of had a couple guys. I mean, Levon, I th- to me, Levon's like the main dude in the band. Yeah, but then what's the other fucking guy? Wait, Who's the, is Robbie Robertson? Robbie Robertson is also like a... I kind of think of him as like the one B guy, but he's. It's also maybe yeah. just because I only know his name. Um, he might not actually be that. High no, up in I mean he, they they shared lead vocal duties, but all the good songs have Levon singing. 
Okay. Which is crazy to me. If you've ever seen like the last waltz or any of their live stuff, um, he's fucking. I've seen clips, but not the way he drums while singing is the most impressive thing in the world to me. Yeah. Also, I we'll we'll probably talk about this uh, when we get to Dark Side of the Moon. Alan Parsons. Yeah. Okay, so he like hit it pretty good with as an engineer on like four good albums, and then he was like, "Yes, I'm gonna name a band after myself now." Mm-hmm. Go fuck yourself, Alan Parsons. What are you talking about, dude? Yeah. Well, that's how you know we're they were in an era where, I mean, weirdly, this is a weird comparison. It's kind of similar. We were talking about fucking Mark Ronson, but it's kind of similar to like the 2000s, 2010s thing where like being a producer all of a sudden was a huge deal again and and not a huge deal. Like they're always a big deal, but usually a producer, I feel like is just their names. You only know if you're a band or if you're in the biz, not a producer. He was a sound engineer. Okay. 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 Fair. But like those types of people who work on albums, like usually you only know them if you're like an artist or kind of in like the music business. And then there's a couple eras, the 70s and early 80s, and then like the later 2000s and into the 2010s, where weirdly those people like break through and are seen as like, well, they're artists in their own right and stuff. And it's just kind of odd. See, in the 60s, I feel that that was happening with session guys like Glenn Campbell, who did Mm, everything for the Wrecking Crew and like, you know, played all of the guitar on fucking pet sounds and shit was like, yeah, I'm going to be a country music star. And then he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like... Who yeah, that's kind of true. With? I guess, like, Booker T to an extent. I mean, I think everybody might just... Yeah. yeah. Weren't they... I kind of... I kind of... I don't actually know their timeline. I, I kind of thought that it was basically the same time. Like, they were the house band and, like, were releasing albums concurrently as being the house band. For stacks, like but there wasn't, I think you know, years of put putting together. in their dues at stacks. I don't think they were a okay, band. Okay. I think they Got they it. were like, oh man, we're really good. And then everybody was yeah. in the world was like, you guys are pretty good. Um, yeah. And then they were like, all right, we're Booker T and the MGs. But how did Booker yes. T get to be the guy? You know? Yes. Uh, probably because he was the best. That's true. He's probably the best musician out of all the MGs. Oh, Steve Cropper, he's really good. You think so? I mean, they're all really fucking good. That's yeah, thing. that's the yeah. So maybe Booker had the creative force. Maybe they all sa- they were all in the room, and Booker was the guy who was like, "Hey, what if we had a band? What yeah. if we recorded this song? You know, XX and yeah. X." And then but then you like he led the way. You know, th- there are famous Booker T and the MG songs, right? Yes, Green Onions, mm-hmm. Green Onions Part Two, Green Onions that they play in the Sandlot live, Green Onions. Um, yeah, Green Onions Live. There's a lot of options. Right. But then, you know, like Steve Cropper wrote Knock on Wood, you know? That's pretty impressive. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, Steve Cropper, you should look at the songs he wrote, like fully wrote, and yeah. you will be impressed, I think. Uh, Wow. Uh, No, just I did look up Steve Cropper. Steve Cropper also was in the Marquees, which I did not know. Yeah. Uh. I thought that was a fully different group of uh, musicians. And then... Dock of the Bay? Well, he played on it. No, he wrote that. He co-wrote it. Well, co-wrote, but still. Yeah, he came up with the whistling, though. So what did he really do? Did he add or take away from that song? I don't know. You don't like the whistling? Anyway. 
Um, <laughs> uh, the whistling to me every time, because I think, man, I'm trying to remember how, I feel like it was around the first time that I heard that song was also around the time that I learned that that was like an unreleased, or not unreleased, but it was like almost done and then he died and they released it after he died. Yeah. And so I don't think this is even true, but it might be true. For some reason, I have it in my head that the whistling is because there wasn't another verse written. That is written. correct. Yeah. Okay. That's a real thing. So that's true. So I learned that like right when I first heard that song. And so now I just always hear the whistling and it kind of sounds like, oh yeah, they just didn't know what to do here. <laughs> like, because it was just, I mean, it might have, I don't even know if it was him or someone else, but it just smacks oh, of being like, ooh, it was uh, somebody let's make else. this. Let's make this one minute and 40 second song a full two minutes and add some whistling. So, okay. Uh, so apparently unclear on what year this is. This is, it's from something called the Beatles, Tennessee connections in Wikipedia. The Beatle favored Steve Cropper's plane and his production on Otis Redding records. John Lennon and Paul McCartney made tentative plans to record in Memphis and to work with the guitarist. However, Brian Epstein canceled the session, citing security problems. So, hmm. I don't know what that would have looked like, but I'm intrigued. I mean, as we all know, Revolver was kind of their, like, Southern Soul album. So, I'm curious what that would have looked like if Steve Cropper was on board. How that would have been different or not. I think it would have been fucking... So cool. Okay, Cropper <clears throat> co-wrote Knock on Wood with Eddie Floyd, co-wrote In the Midnight Hour with Wilson Pickett, and co-wrote Sitting on the Dock of the Bay with Otis Redding. Yes, but a lot of the time when they say co-wrote on things like that... It's because it's because Eddie Floyd said, I'm not... not I need yeah. credit for this Exa- song well, on my it, album. Yeah. I'm not... Exactly. It's going to be a hit song. I need... Yeah. I need writing credit, man. Oh, they apparently featured prominently in the Blues Brothers band? Huh. huh. I wonder if... Man, that's interesting. I want to know more about that, but I don't know where I would know more about the Blues Brothers or, like, the band and the Blues... Or what do you think, PJ? How would I look up... How would I find out more info about that? Um, You could probably just go to the um, info page for... Like, the Wikipedia page for the Blues Brothers, I think. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I see where they hyperlink it here. Yeah, it's in blue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely don't go listen to this podcast I heard about called Fake Bands Real Music, where uh, these three really unfunny guys basically just like read Wikipedia at you about uh, movies about fake bands. Uh, And they definitely didn't do an episode on the Blues Brothers that was actually like pretty interesting and fun because it was like one of their favorite movies of all time. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was like a pretty good discussion of of the blues brothers but don't i mean don't check that out. yeah and that those would be a waste of time but those cowards will probably never do blues brothers 2000 probably not that's i've already heard people chattering online about how like they heard that they weren't going to do 2000 and so there's like i think there's a change.org petition being started about it yeah good um also for some reason at kickstarter i'm unclear on why they need money <laughs> but like <laughs> one of the and it wasn't it wasn't the like podcast it was a fan just started a kickstarter to be like donate here to convince the guys to do blues brothers 2000 yeah. it's worth it well maybe with the money I, they could pay, i heard it's already up to like two or three dollars maybe they could pay jim was, belushi to be on the podcast at that point <laughs> jim yeah. Belushi, yeah either one it doesn't matter they're the same person right as far as i know um 
I think no. Well, I read so they they weren't making a lot of money, so I think they changed the goalpost to be so that they could buy a bottle of Crystal Skull vodka to just have on the desk with a mic in yeah. front of it. <laughs> it won't talk, but you'll yeah. just kind of hear the the glass, like the liquid sloshing around. Um, speaking of which, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I looked up Dan Aykroyd's Twitter because sure. I was like, this is oh yeah, that's be a good idea, crazy or. Uh, you know, he's going to have not posted in several years. He has not posted in several years, but the last thing yeah. he did post was December 21st, 2022. So not several years, but I have completely divested my shares in Diamond Estates Wineries to an undisclosed buyer. I am no longer shareholder in or licensor to Diamond and should not be represented as such to prospective investors or interested parties. Fantastic. I love the idea of someone who is looking into uh <laughs> looking into getting into diamond yeah. winery and is doing some research and are like i actually kind of think did you know that's dan Aykroyd's winery i'm like i'm kind of intrigued go and ask then, him if I can buy his shares yeah and then their lawyer comes up or does a little research and comes back and is like hey did you actually know that it <sighs> looks like he's divested unfortunately yeah like why did he have to tweet it you know, it'd be great though. Well, we can um, we can stop for a minute. If Dan Aykroyd was on cameo, that would be the best one to get. Yes. And who's to say he's not? I feel like he'd be really expensive. Depending on the price, maybe worth it. Aykroyd. Nope. <laughs> Uh, for some reason, when you look up Aykroyd on Cameo, Tim Weisberg pops up, and he is $5, and he, oh. Does he do a Dan seen Aykroyd on, impression? As seen on Hotel Paranormal with Dan Aykroyd. Whoa, sick. We should get him on and just be like, tell us a Dan Aykroyd story for $5 on Cameo. Did Dan, no. Did Dan Aykroyd talk about Blues Brothers at all, and if he did, what did he say for yeah. $5? Like, that'd be worth the 5 bucks, even if he's like, no, nah, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> But just a whole to see. segment that's like, and yeah. later in the show we have somebody who worked personally with Dan Aykroyd. Here's what they have Has to the say inside about the scoop Brothers. on the Blues Brothers and Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah. Oh, he didn't talk about it. I didn't even know he was in that movie. <laughs> what movie? Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think we have a little bit of listener mail, PJ. It is awfully considerate of you to think. Welcome to Listener Mail. Oh, fuck. Our Listener Mail is from SoundCloud Support, a.k.a. Kim, mm-hmm. is oh, apparently Kim. the name of Sound... Oh, and she's from Berlin, Germany. Oh, no, SoundCloud's from Germany. Kim might be from Germany, though. Who knows? Is SoundCloud a German company? Yikes. Yeah, she is, because... yeah, What's the morality Just like Volkswagen, no one, no one remembers that Hitler started SoundCloud. All of those speeches were first put on SoundCloud. They had to go somewhere. So now we can't use Volkswagen, Hugo Boss, or SoundCloud. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I really love that idea. That's a great premise. That's <laughs> just a modern German co- Okay. Um, okay. So Kim might be because the emails say April 4, 2023. 
2247 GMT plus two, which I would assume is German time, just thinking of how a map looks. So, Okay. Anyway, so it appears that you filled out their support thing on their website because there's no initial email. There's just Kim's response. Yes, I did fill it out on their, uh, so what on it, their website. Yeah. So tell us this tale, PJ. There's a lot of emails back and forth here. There sure as shit are, Pete, because... When we started uh, our old podcast by the name of The 27 Club, I made new artwork. Um, and it updated everywhere, every single app, except for the podcast app for the main podcast app for Apple, you know? Yeah. Um, and that annoyed me, but I was like, oh, you know, maybe there's just not really a way to change it. Um, and then I made sure specifically that the artwork for our new show the Pink Floyd fellas, um, yeah. met the parameters so that it would update, and it never updated. And so I emailed them, and I was like, why is this a thing? Um, and then uh, she emailed me back. Because it still has not updated on the fucking podcast app. No, well, here, here's where we go. Do you want me to just read some of this? Because it's, yeah. it's honestly pretty amazing. <clears throat> so, yeah, so you wrote in saying that the artwork wouldn't, wouldn't mm-hmm. uh, update. And again, this is Kim from Germany. Uh, Thanks for writing in on a German laptop, on like a German language keyboard. So that must have been hard for her. She figured it out. Okay. Uh, Or they. Or him. Kim? Actually, Kim could be literally anything. could be anything. Look, I apologize for my biases. Let's talk about famous Kims for a minute. Kim Kim (laughs) Jong-un. Immediately the first <laughs> man named Kim I could think of. Yeah. Kind of the only one I can think of now, too. Well, Kim Jong-il. Yeah. Yeah. Unanil. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So Kim, <laughs> Kim says, thanks for writing in. It seems that the file size is too large. 602 KB gigabytes? What is KB? (laughs) Kilobytes. 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 Uh, I don't use the metric system. Okay. Your podcast art must not be larger than 512 kilobytes. You can change your picture following these instructions. Okay. Great. You say the art upload. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. Was this the original? Oh, yeah. No. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was reading this backwards. You did have the original thing in here. The original message that you sent was the art I uploaded for the podcast won't change on the Apple podcast app. It meets all of their requirements. The art has changed on Spotify. When I asked Apple, they said it had to be done through the hosting website. So then that's what Kim's responding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art is too small or too large. And then you said, I did what was suggested and changed the file size. It did not work. And then Kim said... <laughs> Very concise. Hi there. Thank you for getting in touch with us. It seems that now the artwork is too small. (laughs) Which, if it... (laughs) 1280 by 1280 pixels. If you... And so, uh, then they tell you that it needs to be at least 1400 by 1400 pixels and no larger than 3000 by 3000 pixels, which are completely different measurement standards than what they used before. They said kilobytes before. Yes, which, based on my extremely uh shallow understanding of the of the german people uh is kind of um normal 
that they would change the goalposts on you halfway through. (laughs) (laughs) And then the only thing that I can find now is that then they just checked in with an automated thing saying, hey, we haven't heard back from you in regards to your request. We haven't heard back, so it must have been cleared up. Good job, us. Yeah. Is basically what it says. Um, Yeah, did you respond to Kim after that, that it's now too small? I'm not seeing one in... No, I just fixed it. I oh, you did fixed all it. the parameters. I did it between yeah. the kilobytes, and I did it between the sizes. And you know what? It still hasn't fucking worked. Well, it sounds like... Actually, real quick, let me see call if that's Kim? true. No. Let's call her on air. <laughs> I was going to say, SoundCloud helpline. There's a help center, but I bet there's not going to be a phone number. Yeah, they only have file a ticket. Okay, then should we just call Paul instead? (laughs) Do you think Paul would know? (laughs) Is Paul from Germany? He seems like he's more Scandinavian based on that uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. That's kind of German from what I hear. You know what? Ultimate German. It's a... I mean, that's like the, yeah, the classic Aryan look, but I still really associate Germans with, you know what? The most famous German, Adolf Hitler, with brown hair, brown eyes, man. Handsome, <laughs> That's man. what I think of as a German look, though, I got to say. I'm trying to think. Who's the most German person? Mustache. I know. Yeah. And then Charlie I, well, Chaplin, I guess, he was German, right? <laughs> no, I guess, wh- who's the fucking A? I'm never going to remember his name, but there's the famous actor who's German, right, who is blue- Christoph Waltz and brown hair, no, or in blonde hair. I mean, no, from like the eighties, an action guy. What the fuck, Dolph Lundgren? Yeah, maybe. Yes, I think he's not actually German. Is he like Austrian or something? Um, I think he's like something really surprising. Yes, I might be wrong. Dolph Lundgren is who I'm thinking. He's Swedish. So once again, that's what I'm thinking of. Scandinavia for the blonde well, hair and, and blue eyes. There's also um, Dolph Peter Stormare. Like Oh, who yeah. a lot of people think is German, but I don't think is German. I was going to say, that guy, too. I can picture him in my head. He's Swedish. Yep. All the Swedes just get all the German roles. Okay, I'm going to look, look up, up German actors. I was about to say German person, famous German with blonde hair. Christoph Waltz, but he's kind of got darker hair, too. I don't think, if he's blonde, it's more of a dishwater blonde. Yeah. <laughs> that dirty dishwater head. Uh, okay, well, so we do have a female, Daniela Katzenberger. Uh, some call her Germany's answer to Kim Kardashian. Ah, Daniela. Dan. Some. Wow, this is quite the opening to an article. Daniela Katzenberger was once known as the girl with shaved-off eyebrows, a large bust, <laughs> and bottle blonde hair. She was turned down for a job at Hooters and had no luck in becoming a bunny in Hugh Hefner's Playboy Empire. All of this live on our TV screens. Even though these initial efforts did not pay off, the transmission of the episode on her reality show Auf und Davin, Up and Away in 2009 was a huge success. (laughs) And a hype around the smiley, positive, and entertaining girl started. Blonde, authentic, and always good for a surprise. Always good for Honestly, kind of sounds like the opposite of Louisiana Fast. <laughs> Truly. Claudia Schiffer. She's a German model and actress. Okay, but she's I just not know actually the name. German. You know, she's like yeah. of German descent, right? She was born she in actually... Rheinberg. Although, oh. 
these are bad photos. Oh, no, I think those are blue eyes. Okay, so she's blonde and blue-eyed. Okay, so by far what I'm finding... Oh, wait! Till Schweiger. Also, Michael Fassbender's on here, but I'm pretty sure that motherfucker's Irish. Okay, here we go. From Rare Historical Photos... We're about to get schooled. Rarehistoricalphotos.com They have Adolf Hitler's eye color in a rare color photo. Uh, He did apparently have blue eyes. Although, well, according to this website, we'll see. Uh, although Adolf Hitler claimed the Germans were of a superior Aryan race of white, tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed individuals, he himself was shorter, uh, had brown hair, but apparently did have blue eyes. So apparently people were uh, were amazed with his hypnotic blue eyes. Okay. And he's got Adolf Hitler eyes. <laughs> Yeah, apparently he had a a penetrating gaze. Anyway, so, but then when I clicked on this thing. Um, In one of these pictures, his eyes look so blue, it must be fake. Like blue to the point, it's like one of those dogs that they put down for having eyes that are uh, too human, you know? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, that's us. You know what? Is it, is it more or less, uh, like dangerous to be just spouting off bad anti-Nazi nonsense? <laughs> like if it's just if that's as inaccurate as the pro-Nazi shit, then anyway, yeah. don't be a Nazi. The Nazis were idiots, even if we don't fully actually know what they were up to. Apparently, and by we, I mean me. Uh, okay. I think a lot of bad stuff, Pete. I think the only thing we didn't know that they did was the blue eyes thing. I guess I was I was literally about to say, yeah, I guess the one thing just about whether they were that hardcore on the blonde hair thing. (laughs) Blonde hair, blue eyes. Seems like they're pretty loose in what blonde is. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, that has been listener mail. Thanks a lot, SoundCloud. Um, If SoundCloud, if you're listening, which I hope you are, I hope you individually listen to each of your podcasts. Just know that I want somebody to help me, but I don't want it to be Kim again. Yeah, Kim was honestly, like, ridiculously unhelpful. <laughs> like, so unhelpful. <laughs> One of the funniest responses I think I've ever seen to, oh, well, now it's too small. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then telling you what size it had to be using completely different parameters. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just altogether unhelpful. That's, I mean, look, man, Spinal Tap, uh, speaking of fake bands, real music. Did it best. You don't want to mess up your measurements. You want to keep those measurements your, uh, oh, God damn it. What's the word? Uh, What's for the thing that you use? Units? Thank you. You want to keep your unit of measurement consistent at all times. And Kim failed. Kim is the type of person who would accidentally order a mini Stonehenge for her boss. Yeah. Their boss. I'm sorry. God damn it. Her response was, their response was so... Matter of fact and not helpful. I think when reading, I literally went, what the fuck? Yeah. They must have been answering, I mean, just while they were doing something else. (laughs) It sounds like it. Hey, that's what they do best. Sound like stuff. SoundCloud. (laughs) I still have Tim Weisberg's um, thing pulled up, and it's just kind of auto-playing all of his cameos. 
these preview cameos with no sound. Um, and so it's just this guy like shaking his head and like doing a lot of that. Um, yeah. And I didn't realize it was still pulled up until just now. Okay, let's put in a request here. Book a personalized video to Pete. He, him. Who's this video from? It's from PJ. None of your business. He, him. What's the occasion? Mother's Day, of course. Who? What's your relation to the recipient? Pal. <laughs> Tell us. Tell us if Dan Aykroyd ever talked about the Blues Brothers or the Blues Brothers 2000. Please. Thank you. I love you. Perfect. Oh, wait. <laughs> I put that in the wrong spot. I put it in the... Why oh, did you no. choose to get a cameo from <laughs> Tim Weisberg's spot? Nice. Well, and then, what's it. something special about the recipient you want Tim Weisberg to know? His name is a palindrome. <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I'm dumb enough. Oh. That took me a second. Okay. Anyway. So we've got that to look forward to. All right. Which is nice. Well, and that has been listener mail. Or wait, did we already do that? Whatever. Okay. You'll stick it in at some point. Okay, there we go. Just like uh, Louisiana Fest. Uh, okay, so episode, well, whatever number, that doesn't matter. But Six? Sure. Of Pink Floyd fellas, we're talking Sid Barrett, everybody. Uh, so... After uh, technically, oh no no no, because Adam Hart Mother technically came out after the first Sid Barrett solo album, but before the second yeah. one, I think. Yeah, so we decided to just yeah, so we're like kind of technically a little out of order, but we were only gonna do the one album on Sid. So anyway, so yeah, so we're talking Sid Barrett. Um, while Pink Floyd have been getting busy doing soundtrack albums and making whatever they think music is. Uh, Sid also got busy making whatever he <laughs> thought music was. <laughs> so, <laughs> turns out they have similar definitions that I would not define. Yeah, they're as really that. they're really made for each other. It turns out he should never have left. So, since we have two full albums to go through, I think I'm just gonna kind of jump into Sid's Sid's whole deal. Yeah. Uh, so, and what's interesting is that it's not like he didn't really disappear. Uh, he's been kind of you know in and around music uh, since he left. Uh, Do you think he still hangs out with the boys? <laughs> well, no, he's dead. Oh, not still, but I mean during this time. Oh, yeah, we'll get to it. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so he leaves the band in early uh, 1968. And as we remember, they all got in a car to go to a show, and someone said, should should we pick up Sid? And they said, eh, why? <laughs> <laughs> that guy? Who cares? So, and then as we also covered at the time on our, you know, second episode, I believe, uh, their management, Peter Jenner and Andrew King, uh, left with Sid, leaving Pink Floyd holding the bag with this new neophyte <clears throat> manager who didn't know what he was doing and will turn out to be one of the better rock managers in uh, music history. But 
I don't know. Peter about Jenner that. and Andrew King uh, attached themselves to Sid and decided to get this genius working. So shortly after he left the group, they got him into the studio to start working on new music, and Peter Jenner was the producer for these sessions. So any he, relation to Chris? Oh yeah, like tri- uh, like great granduncle. Mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. Um. So apparently they got along okay, like as people, but Peter quote seriously underestimated the difficulties of working with Sid. <laughs> so <laughs> studio time. He went, didn't remember that there was a whole band that was like this guy. We won't work with this fuck. guy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it sounds like he just, you know, heard that and was like, well, whatever. They're just complaining. I, but I'll be fine. Those whiners. And then, yeah, exactly. So over the summer of 68, see, he worked sporadically on music, recorded a bunch of rough cuts, but never really got close to kind of getting finalized tracks or, or an album at all. Um, later that summer, Sid broke up with his girlfriend and then kind of fell off the radar. He ended up in psychiatric care for a while. Uh, and just kind of stayed away from from music until the beginning of 1969. Um, hmm. So then by the time he was ready to record, he called up EMI and they said, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll get you back into the studio. Apparently, Peter Jenner was not interested in working with Sid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Um, yeah, later on, I forget what this was. Oh, this is in a later story at some point, he apparently told his friend, he was going to go for a drive. They were like hanging out and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go for a drive. And then got on a plane and like went to Spain. (laughs) So I couldn't find this anywhere, but I would like to think that he left the Peter Jenner sessions by just being like, yeah, I'm going to go take a walk and then disappeared for six months. (laughs) I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. 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 Um, but EMI still wanted to record with him. So they got, uh, kind of similarly to the, the Floyd's new manager, they got this new producer that they had who was, you know, kind of who would work with anybody basically um, through him at Sid Barrett and got him back into the studio. So this guy, Malcolm Jones, um, apparently got along fine with Sid. And at least during this period, I think this has a lot more to do with the period he's working with Sid than anything about yeah. Sid writ large. But according to him, Sid was great. He's like, I don't understand all these stories that I've heard about him being unreliable or crazy or, you know, not showing up or anything like that. Yeah. He said he was, he was and, into it. Wasn't. Yeah. And I'm assuming this is the same Malcolm Jones, uh, who plays uh, football for, um, Michigan's state university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's yeah. also his great grand nephew. Yeah. They're like, it's yeah. they're, a lot of Go famous th- grand uncles in this episode are going to come Go Spartans. Up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so everything went pretty well with Malcolm for a while. They, they dug up the first or like the rough cuts of all his earlier Mm -hmm. tracks, worked on some new stuff. Uh, Sid brought in some other musicians. Uh, he brought in Jerry Shirley, the drummer from Humble Pie and Willie Wilson, uh, which adds to the long glorious list of drummers with double names. Um, or not drummers, but musician, rock musicians from the 70s yeah. with double names. We already talked about Robbie Robertson, Mitch Mitchell, a famous one. <clears throat> Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson, exactly. So uh, Willie Wilson, who is apparently the drummer in Joker's Wild, which was Davey's original group before he joined yeah. Pink Floyd. I remember talking about that. Yeah. 
So, so they get brought in. Uh, they're playing drums. I think Jerry's playing drums and Willie plays bass or something. But they play along with Sid uh, for a few sessions, but it's apparently pretty ramshackle because Sid's kind of leading them, but being like, he's not writing it. He doesn't have anything written down. He's not telling them like chord changes. He's basically just saying, I'm going to play the song a couple times. You can listen and jump in and then we'll do a take. And oh, wow, that sounds a lot like it. the first couple of Pink Floyd albums, eh? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um, so, and then another funny story from this, uh, or a, a couple of funny stories from this uh, section, this time in the studio. Uh, apparently on one song, Sid wanted to get some motorcycle sounds on it. Hell so he yeah. So he went out and recorded some himself and brought in the cassette. Uh, but the sound quality was so bad. <laughs> when they put the cassette into their system they were like where did you get these motorcycle sounds Sid I don't understand what happened here the sound quality was so awful that then they said okay well what if we use EMI's like sound effects library and they spent three hours listening to different motorcycle sound effects before Sid said you know what never mind I don't need the motorcycle sounds (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And apparently the motorcycle sounds were were teased by him telling Malcolm, I want to do something really interesting tomorrow, and then brought in the tape, and then they just spent the whole day doing that. And it was like, <laughs> okay, Sid, thank you. That just sounds like a day where they were like, I don't really want to work today. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, also, what is it with musicians, quote, unquote, going crazy? I'm being flippant. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the you know correct way to say that, but quit being such a woke lip <laughs> yeah exactly uh but i'm just thinking of brian wilson wanting like fire truck sounds and stuff and smile and like what is it with like the sound effects thing it's very i don't know but then it's know. also not it that just far seems off. like you've brought two bands here that are obsessed with stupid noises and songs i don't know well, i was gonna say it's also not that far off from like what was actually cool in music at the time it's it's kind of dumb because like uh, pink floyd on adam Hart's mother had Alan's psychedelic breakfast where 90% of the song is just listening to a guy like fry up bacon. So mm-hmm. if we're talking sound effects, it's not, uh, what yeah. good music that made for yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and then coming up again, the band soft machine, they will not go away. Um, he Sid brought a in soft machine for you. Yeah. So Sid brought in some of the guys from soft machine to do overdubs which apparently generally went well, but again, some more Sid-isms. Uh, apparently the guy said that they would ask him questions for doing overdubs, like, what key is this song in? Or, like, what kind of tempo are we looking at? Or stuff like that. So they'd ask him, like, what key are we in? And Sid would just go, yeah. <laughs> or, even better, he would say things like, that's funny. Which I really want to take in my, like, professional life. Like, when someone, you know, for the listeners, I I work... Well, this isn't just a thing for working remote, but I work remote, so I use, like, you know, chat a lot to to talk with people. And I would just love so much for someone to send me some question about something, and I'd just say, that's funny, and then never respond to anything more. (laughs) Have you updated that spreadsheet at all today? We really need that by the end of the day. That's That's funny. funny. Or just, yeah. (laughs) Like I, it doesn't say that you did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See this? That's such a good bit, but yeah. him doing it just very seriously is like yeah. fuck that guy. Yeah. Do you think he didn't know? I mean, he was was he like a classically trained musician? I don't remember. 
No. Like, do you think he knows keys and stuff like that? No. Or you think no, we'll get you know? we'll get to it a little bit more uh, in a, in a minute about his songwriting kind of style. Um, so at a certain point, apparently Davy uh, Gilmore, uh, not to be confused with all the other Davies that come up on a Pink Floyd podcast, uh, Davy uh, had kept in touch with Sid a little bit off and on over the last year, and so had heard he was working on a new album. Asked how it was coming along. And kind of took an interest. And so at some point, oh, yeah, this is, I think, when Sid told somebody he was going to go for a drive and then jumped on a plane. He accompanied them to Ibiza, uh, oh. Pink Floyd, which probably was related to Moore because this is right around when the Moore album came out. Um, yeah. So he accompanied them on a trip to Ibiza and hung out with the band for a little while. And then when he came back, uh, told Malcolm that he wanted Davey and Roger Waters to finish producing the album. Um, so thanks, but no thanks. Uh, so they did the rest of the overdubs over the summer of 1969, uh, and mixed the whole thing in two days to get it released. <sighs> well, it didn't end up being released till January. I don't know why they're on such a tight deadline. Like they talk, I, I found lots of quotes about them being in a real rush, but then it doesn't get released for like six months after they finish it. So anyway, so <clears throat> <laughs> these two gentlemen invite him to come to Ibiza. Yeah. These gentlemen, he was in a band with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, oh, man, yeah, totally. We, we'll totally produce your album, man. But n- at no point are they like, just come back to Pink Floyd, man. You know? No. Well, like at no point does that yeah. cross their mind. They're like, we'll help you with your stuff for sure, dude. Do you think they just felt bad? And they were like, well, yeah, we'll help, dude. Here's here's a quote from Davey that I think kind of gets at their mindset at the time. Uh, Sid was very difficult. We got that frustrated feeling like, look, it's your career. Why don't you do something about it? The guy was in trouble and was a close friend for many years. So it was really the least we could do. But it just I don't so, know. Yeah, I'm it not kinda, that wrong about what I said. Yeah. I mean, kind of where it's like, yeah, we don't. We don't want him in uh in our band, but so anyway, so they finished up the album. It came out uh yeah, January nineteen seventy. Davy, Sid, and Roger were all fairly uh, uh, positive about the album, but apparently Malcolm Jones was really upset at uh the musicianship on the songs that Pink Floyd worked on and thought that it showed a bad side of Sid and that it, you know, was not as well done as it could have been. So, uh, the album art, which is really dark. So I will say I would never have noticed this if I wasn't reading about it, but apparently the floor is painted orange and purple. Let me look. It really in like the dark version of it. Like it's a pretty dark photo. It looks like hardwood color and then like kind of a weird bluish green to me. It doesn't, but it's apparently bright orange and purple. It looks like a norm, like a kind of a nicer floor that uses like pine and then like yeah. rosewood or something, like every other plank. So, but apparently, the- yeah, Sid pa- hand painted his bedroom floor in stripes, and then that's how that's where they took the photo. So great. You know what's a nice texture? Paint on a floor. I will say, if you go look at, I have absolutely no idea where this piece of art is from. But if you're on the Wikipedia page, the reissued version from 2010 or something has a really great album cover. 
I don't know where. Yeah, like I said, I don't I don't know if that's who did the album cover, but it's it's super cool. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we go ahead and get to track by track through Madcap the Madcap Laughs, uh, which is a pretty great album title, and it's a lyric in one of the songs. Maybe Octopus, I want to say. Oh, and it was it went to number 40 on the UK charts, so not bad. Oh, huh. yeah. So first song, Terrapin. I really love Who is he, the fucking Grateful Dead? Yeah, what is with the word terrapin in 70s rock? There's a whole two songs named it. Yeah. Same with Octopus, man. <laughs> yeah, well. The song makes me want to die. I. It's almost good. Okay. That's more. That's uh, more positive than I thought you were gonna be. <laughs> I I. Well, I, the first thing I said was it makes me want to die. So. Yeah. I really like this song. It's just it's a full five minutes, and um, I'm good at about two and a half minutes in, because it's this the entire time. There's not a lot else going on. No, and like they were they had something when they were like when the Pink Floyd guys were like. You should take this more seriously. But clearly he did the guitar in one take. He fucks up a lot. Oh, no, this entire album is pretty much one take. And to some degree, I actually kind of, I I really like it. I think it gives it a weird charm. And we'll get to it in the back half when there's kind of a weird, like, run of just a bunch of demos, basically. Like, I I do like that vibe on this album. But for this song specifically, I, I really like this song. It's just way too long for what it is so I would agree with that (laughs) okay there PJ's going rogue he's taking the mic off the stand baby he's leaning back he's popping his shirt off just relaxing listening to this chill ass music exactly yeah he's lighting up a dube 60s check me out I'm cool let's drop acid at Woodstock friends I'm not a narc uh, let's go ahead and get to No Good Trying. We're going to rush through these a little bit, partially because I don't think there's tons to talk about, and partially because we have two full albums. So. Makes sense. Um, so from the first album to this album, or from the first song to this second song, I'm now thinking, and I've this. he just sounds like he's trying to be Donovan, and or Donovan based Donovan's entire thing off. Yes. Off. That's exactly what I thought about this. I was like, this is bad Donovan. I don't even know if I think bad. It's just like... I think... It it only comes across to me as bad because it's like, for the sound and style, like three years too late, kind of. Um, But aside... Like, I I guess I will say I think it's better than Donovan just because I do like Sid's lyrics more than like Donovan lyrics. Donovan lyrics always seem to me kind of like they're trying to be psychedelic, but in a way where... It's appeasing people who aren't into psychedelic music, like where normies can go like, oh, that's so weird and psychedelic, but it's not actually that weird and psychedelic. Whereas Sid Barrett is truly psychedelic. Sunshine Superman? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Mellow mellow Yellow? Can you even imagine? Oh, they call him that. Um, Whereas, 
unfortunately for Sid, due to the uh, mental health issues, he has the the psychedelic bona fides to pull off crazy <laughs> lyrics. Uh, that's a good one. Um, this is better than the last song. And I yeah, like I like the, the ramshackly. It's like it's like the folky version of garage rock, where it's just really like ramshackle. And kind of like lo-fi, and there's like the over-distorted guitar, and I don't know. Listening to it, it now, it's totally fine to me, and it's like not egregious or anything. I don't remember listening to this song, and I've listened to this album probably four times. Yeah, this one didn't stand out to me tons. I was, I do think this album gets better as it goes on. But let's go ahead and get to Love You. Oh, Love You Too, Pete. This was very confusing to me, too, just to skip ahead to the second album real quick. The second song on the other Sid Barrett album we're talking about is Love Song. And I immediately went, wasn't there a song called Love Song on the first one? (laughs) Not quite. I I will say what I do appreciate about Sid Barrett is he's writing songs. He's not just writing nothing. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, he's not coming in with, like, an Astronomy Domine type song or something Yeah, to just jam for te- ten minutes. Yeah, he's not like, I'm going to get my wife to play fucking Penny Whistle on this song. <laughs> yeah. And uh, do nothing then for ten minutes. It's actual songs, which, to me, gives him a leg up on Pink Floyd. Yeah. At this at this moment in time. I think that's fair. Um this song I really legitimately like. I like the this lyrics. I like the melody. I love the like kind of tack piano yeah. in the back. I like the shuffliness of his like weirdly badly recorded guitar for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. it's recorded so poorly. But um, yeah, I really. The whole thing I is kind of not recorded pretty... well. That's See, like what Pink Floyd has on him. Is that yeah. their stuff is very well recorded? It just annoys the shit out of me. His stuff is not recorded well, but it is better, I think. I think at least on this album, I don't know if they did it on purpose at the time, but I think it helps this album. Like it gives it, like this album and the next album, and I think a little bit more so with the next album. But these feel like albums where you can see how they influenced a bunch of later music, and so I think in this one. Uh, the recording of this album I do think lends a lot to its sound and is a is a thing where like that production, the kind of crappy production is part of the reason that it was like influential for a lot of people so that makes sense Uh, let's go ahead and get to No Man's Land and while we do that I can share that as I talk about it being influential um, multiple musicians uh, have noted or have called Madcap Laughs as one of their favorite albums of all time, including most famously David Bowie, which makes some sense. Yes, I feel like because this kind of sounds like here. 1970 David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. Um, except his is better. Well, yeah, but I could see how David Bowie would listen to this and go like, yeah, this is where it's at. I'm going to take that and make it good. (laughs) This song, I will say, you know, I'm poking a lot of fun at this album. It is much less annoying to Pink Floyd than Pink Floyd to me at this moment in time. Um, And 
the I think you're right. The guitar on this one is so poorly recorded, but for me it works here. Yeah. It's like they had the microphone instead of close micing it, like how literally everybody records a guitar. They were like, "We'll just toss the microphone across the room." Yeah, let's turn it up. I mean, maybe maybe Sid wouldn't like sit down. He just walked around the whole time. <laughs> Sid, you gotta stay in one place, man. The mics don't move. Well, he had a little hip hip amplifier on, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. uh, Jack Black. But I think if it was well recorded, it would sound too much like Donovan's stuff. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I agree with that. Um. Uh, let's go ahead and get to Dark Globe. To me, okay, here's what it is. Here's what bugs me about the album, I think. And I didn't realize it until just now. If it was recorded better, I think I would have liked it a little bit more. Or if it was recorded worse, like a little bit more lo-fi, I would have really liked that. Not this part, but um, it just sounds like he, he sounds like a crust punk on the street when he plays guitar like that. But like... Like, if this was just a super chill lo-fi album yeah. that, like, wasn't trying, I think it'd be a lot, like, pretty charming. But yeah. it's not quite that, and it's not quite well-recorded enough for me to, like, I don't know. Yeah. See, on this one, like, it it, it ruins the narrative a little bit because this isn't true of Barrett, the second one. But on this one, it feels like, to me, the production feels like it reflects how hard it is to get Sid to record (laughs) and like in the studio and focus because it's so poorly recorded and yeah like you hear him playing guitar where it's like is this the first time he's played this song maybe yeah and I feel like that is at least to me listening to it feels like it adds everything or adds so much to Sid's mindset basically as a musician and the fact that like he didn't care about that sort of like that's not the important part you know where like like to every musician like you can tell are are we on to here i go now um i really like dark globe just by the way before we move on that much that's probably my favorite song so far if they had done a second take on the guitar would have loved it yeah uh, I like this song quite a bit too. This is when we start getting good, starting with Dark Globe, in my opinion. I like his voice on this one a lot. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it feels this album sounds like it was a miracle it even got released, like just by the production and like by kind of the ramshackle nature of it. And in that way, and kind of tied in with like the the mythic uh, nature of Sid Barrett as a musician, I feel like it works for me, and I like that. It makes it feel a little bit more special that it's like, wow, this is in more raw in a way where you're like, this just sounds like if you, if Sid Barrett was like, let me show you the songs I've been working on. And then they just release that as an album. To me, there are enigmatic musicians who could do that. Um, 
but like not really know. Like I know some about Sid Barrett, right? But like, uh, let's take Tom Waits for instance. I love Tom Waits. I can see why people would look at his music and be like, what the fuck? Uh, why are you listening to this? I get that, right? Um, but to me, it works because of his personality and like kind of everything going into that. So I see what you're saying. For me, I just think maybe I'm not that invested in Sid Barrett. I guess maybe to rephrase, I feel like with Sid Barrett, it's more this style of recording and like the ramshack on this of it this feels more authentic to sid barrett like usually this would annoy me you're saying if an artist was like i'm gonna release kind of demos or just you know like a from the notebook type album usually that comes across as really annoying but it's usually because that sort of thing is kind of put on where it's like well i could work on it and make a good album but instead i'm just gonna do like a demos album Whereas for guess, Sid, especially at this I point mean. in time, I mean, there are clearly... it feels authentic to like this is what he could do. So this is what we get, and 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 I think you're I think special in its own way. I see what you're saying, um, for sure, and I think it kind of goes along with what I was saying, where it's like there are musicians who will record an album that's really weird for the sake of being weird, and they're not just like a strange person. Like Tom Waits is just a very strange dude. I don't think he makes music weird to be weird i think he is just very weird um but then like if somebody else did that i'd be like no yeah you're putting it on yeah yeah Yeah. okay i see what you're saying yeah i think that's where this gets points in my book as well where it's like you know uh, if i don't know I i think you're right i think i just wish it was either a little less done or more done. Yeah. It's right in that middle thing to me where I'm like, I don't know. I did like that last song though. Yeah, now we're getting to Octopus. I will say, here I go. We kind of talked over it, but it was a really good example of listening to the the Jerry Shirley and the other guy whose name I forget. Kind of just like following Sid along where like he'll start a verse and then they'll kind of kick in like a half beat late and be like, oh, yeah. oh, that's where we're going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Octopus, probably the best song on the album, in my opinion. Here I go, maybe. I'm going to give it some extremely high praise and say it reminded me of the deep psychedelic era Beatles a lot. Like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds era Beatles. Both in terms of being catchy and weird and the lyrics being interesting. Okay. I like, like the last song better than I like this one. Oh, I see think. that line just there. Like, that is one of the... I mean, that's... Yeah, I think this song is... In a just in aces. a fully, you know, in a fully different, like, production and musicianship context. Is, but I, mean, I think it's I think it's up there with some of that. I think it's... This album is strange because there's not a through thought throughout the whole album. Like, it, it's psychedelic I guess Sid Barrett is the through line. Yeah. That's kind of it, but there's not like, there's not production-wise a through line. There's not theme-wise a through line. Yeah. The, musically, not a through line. No. It's just kind of like, oh, these are the ramblings of Sid Barrett, and that's the only through line, you know? Yeah. Which is, you know, like you said, kind of charming. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Octopus is really fantastic, actually. It, here, it's just one more take on each of them. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, like, yeah. Truly. But that's where I'm saying where I'm like, I don't think they could have. Like, I think they got... I think they, they got... They couldn't rein him in. Yeah. I think they got the, like, backing track, and then they could overdub, but I don't think they were going to get Sid to do another, like, full to eat, you know, or, yeah. it, or at least it was not easy. Uh, let's go ahead and get to Golden Hair. I forget exactly. I should have written down. This is another theme that's all 70s-y. Yeah, What's up with hair. all the Golden Hair songs? But we're, we're kind of now getting into the part of the album where it's just like a bunch of little demos. Um, yeah, so like basically here through the end is just different takes and stuff. And was this released originally on the album or is this like a kind of a bonus no, yeah, thing? They are. Spotify has. Yeah, so basically except for Octopus, the whole back half is kind of... I mean, they're not fully demos, but it's just a bunch of like shorter songs that to yeah. me feel less well, finished than the first on half. On mine, it's like... In a little bit, it's like octopus takes one and two. It's no good trying. Take five. Oh no, that's the like deluxe stuff. D- yeah. that, okay, that's what I was. No, I was about to say it's thinking. actually on the Wikipedia page. They give you the takes. So Terrapin, take one. That was the first take of Terrapin. Uh, I could have guessed that. No good trying. Take three. Love you. Take four. Uh oh wait. Before I get further, I want you to guess what the highest take number is on this album. <laughs> Six. So it's higher than four, you know that. Six. It's six. Okay. Um, no, I hate this, by the way. I'm not a big fan of this. Uh, although Roger got his gong out, apparently. Um, no Man's Land, take five. Dark Globe, take one. Here I Go, take five. Okay. Octopus, take 11. A little surprising. Yep. Recorded on the 12th of June. Overdubs added the 13th of June. Here's the... That's very funny. Um, The thing with... I think Sid Barrett... So what did those 10 other takes sound like? (laughs) Right? They must have, like, been recording his guitar and vocals on the same track. Oh, I think... Yes. And so they were like, well, that's the only at all usable take. Long Gone, by the way, is coming up now. Which, like, if they were smart, they could have done it on separate tracks and then mixed takes. But I guess it probably wouldn't have been in rhythm then yeah. because he's so sporadic. Uh, so Golden Hair was also take 11. Really? Yeah. Oh. Long Gone is take take one and no overdubs. Except for whatever these backing vocals are, I guess. Well, I they could have been doing that live in the room. Yeah, that's true. I didn't mind this one. Yeah, it's, Usually it's I would hate fine. it, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and get to She Took a Long Cold Look. I will say Golden Hair, he did some really Pink Floydy stuff on there with the like wow noises. And um, I didn't like it. This is take one. Take five. They did... This song, the next song, and the one after it. Oh, and the one before. They did four songs all in one day. Of course they did. So that's um, why these all feel like weird little demos, I guess. I do want to say... My, 
My guess is that the takes are like, you know, take 11 for octopus or whatever. Or for Which one was it that had 11 yeah, takes? Yeah, octopus. Octopus. My guess is that the first 10 times he fucked up halfway through and he was like, ah, we got to do it again. My guess is they did the, whatever the first full take was. Yeah. The one that he got all the way through the song. They were like, that's it. We're done. <laughs> it's possible. <clears throat> uh, I like this one probably the best out of all these little demo tracks. Um, I don't know for what reason. I just kind of like it. Yeah. Mo- like just the melody hits me right as opposed to, like you know, these are all kind of. Yeah. Or was that the last one? No, that was this one. Uh, let's go ahead and get to feel. This was take one. The only take of feel that probably exists in the world. This one song. They couldn't cut that 10 seconds out. He's doing the thing where it's like, if it, I feel like that I did a lot when I was first playing guitar and like learning how to sing and play guitar, where it's like you look up a song and then halfway through, like looking at the chords hmm. and lyrics, you're like, oh, I don't know this song as well as I did. Yes. And like when but the chord wrote change it. happens, <laughs> exactly. But like when the chord change happens, you like are like, oh, my voice goes up here, and right. he's just kind of guessing. That's what it sounds like. But that's, I mean, that's what I'll say. Like, I don't actually like, or I don't love any of these songs on this back half except for Octopus, but I really like listening to it just because it's very interesting to me to hear him play all these. Yeah, like they're the first time he's ever heard it, but he wrote it, where it's like that's just a fascinatingly weird context to hear a song, I feel like. And I forget if it's this one. We've been talking over him a lot, so it might have been one we already talked over. But there's one song where he just fully plays the wrong chord in the same spot, like four different, like every single time he hits the wrong chord. We're like, dude, one. you wrote the song, like, you wrote the song, and also like, did you write it down wrong, and you just start forgetting? He, he, what is he happening? Didn't here? Believe in pencils or pens. Yeah. It's all up here, baby. But I do. I kind of like it. I don't know. Like I said, I like it. It's it's very. It's like the most authentic. You know, just like let's hear a raw singer songwriter kind of thing that i feel like i've ever actually heard so it's interesting uh let's go ahead and get to if it's in you uh pj's brother asks he wonders that a lot yes, no never mind that didn't really work <laughs> yeah pete what the fuck are you talking about man See, I imagine that was like the first six takes when they're talking about it. It's no, it's just about you know going through. It. I mean, if you if we could cut. I, I've also done that when I've been playing songs where I'll go like too high and I'm like, nope, done with that song for the day. It's yeah, crazy it's that this is where Glenn's John got it, got this idea. I hate this song, by the way. Yes, I am. I just don't really like the melody, I think. I actually really, really like it. And you know what's weird is that I like it enough where I'm like, God, I want to hear this on Piper of the Gates of Dawn with like crazy overdriven guitar and like a crazy drum part happening. And, like, I, will say, I think this, this would be sick if it was like a rock and Pink Floyd song. Yeah. 
This song and the last song are very, like, you could hear that that, like, could have been a demo for Piper at the Gates of Dawn, you know? Yeah. For sure. Maybe just because it's him singing, and I'm like, I yeah. can just hear his voice immediately going into, it's awfully considerate of you to think of me too. Yeah. I Like this one on all the demos, this one to me definitely I think has the most, like, if I was his producer, I would have been like, let's, can we flesh this one out some more? Like, because this one's pretty bomb, but just sing it better, you know, like, figure it out a little bit. Should we take it down a key? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to I'm gonna punch up your joke from earlier. If it's in you, what is this song about Louisiana Fast? <laughs> oh, hey, so by the way, where we were talking about Malcolm Jones being unhappy with the Davy and Roger songs, you know? So yeah. basically this whole back half was their stuff. And so I think that's where he was like, with the super raw kind of demo takes, where he yeah. was like, Sid sounds like shit. This is like embarrassing and, you know. Which, yes, but I also kind of see what they're doing. I don't know. To me, that just seems like they went in and they were like, it's good enough. Good enough already. Either that. I I think there's probably a combination of factors. I think that. I think also Sid was probably like, yeah, I'm good with it. And they just weren't arguing. And then also probably they were a little bit fed up with him. (laughs) Bye. Because they started in like the beginning of the summer and this was all late July where it's like they might have already just been like, you know what? We're just going to do our job and get out of here. We're trying to yeah. be good people. but <laughs> yeah. While Brian Wilson was a recluse, I imagine Sid Barrett like recording this, and then they're like, does this sound good? And he's playing with like a paddle ball being like, yeah, do whatever you guys think, and just watching the paddle ball. I think absolutely. Uh, this song's fun. It's okay, I guess. I don't know. Do you have any... Oh, I feel like we've talked a lot about our overarching thoughts, but anything you want to add about Madcap Laughs before we give a rating and move on? You know, I do think that I've said everything um, about the album, talking over the album. Yeah. Um, to me, I wish it was either a little bit better done or underdone, like raw, more raw, you know? Yeah. Because, um, like, like you said, listening to, like, kind of raw stuff like that is super interesting. I think it's why I like... Um, that Beatles documentary so much because it's like yeah. you hear the rawest takes of stuff like that um, and that that is fascinating to me but this isn't quite there for me it's not like really stripped back and like very raw there's still like overdubs and stuff and I think it would have been interesting and maybe a more intriguing album to me if it was like that yeah. or if it was a little bit more produced you know it's in this middle camp where I'm like None of it sounds great to me. I think there are a few songs that truly I could have really liked if it was produced better. Um, yeah. Because, like, the writing is there and, like, the melody is mostly there. But um, th- I don't know. There's nothing that, like, super grabbed me, you know? Yeah. There's nothing where I was like, this is the redeeming thing on this album or anything like that, you know? So. Yeah, yeah I hear that. I, um, I kind of hear what you're saying now. Or, like, I mean, I, I've been hearing what you're saying but thinking about what you're saying i actually have a new idea now which is i kind of now want them to have done the first half with like five or six well recorded well produced like full band songs and then they could have just done the whole back half is like the demo kind of sit with the guitar stuff and i think that would have been the best balance for this because you could have gotten both because yeah they have a bunch of good songs where you're right like 
they're produced and like there are other musicians and stuff on them, but it's still not quite good enough that it then they occupy a weird middle ground there. Yeah. So yeah. I get, I get that. Um, I, this album is interesting to me. I have a sneaking feeling. I will like it a lot more in hindsight because I didn't love Piper at the gates of dawn, even though I listened to it a lot when we first talked about it, I didn't love it when we first mm-hmm. listened to it. And then I've liked it more kind of the longer it's been. So I, I have a feeling that I will end up really liking this album more. Right now I'm going to go like 6 out of 10 because I think there are some really great stuff. I like the demo section. I love Octopus. I like a couple off the front part. But then, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. um, For me, I'm going to go 4 out of 10, which I think a lot of people would be like, that is high based on what he's been um, giving Pink Floyd. But the thing is, he's writing actual songs. <laughs> These are songs to yeah. me. It's not just weird yeah, yeah. fusion, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's a 4 out of 10. I just wish I, it could have been something really cool, and it just wasn't no. to me. But Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back for the, the final Sid Barrett album, Barrett. Ah. You know, every time I hear his name, I think of that character on Mad Men who's got a I think Jimmy Barrett was his name. He's got yeah. a show called Grin and Barrett. Grin and Barrett. I was weirdly thinking about that earlier this week, and it popped into my head, and I don't... Two things. I don't know why it popped into my head. Nothing came up, like, on a TV show or anything to make it pop into my head. Popped into my head. I also... So I didn't know why it popped in my head, and I didn't know where it was from. I just was hmm. thinking of the phrase Grin and Barrett like that, like, all week, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Hmm. Are you glad that I've now? Yes, thank you. You've closed yeah. the loop. You're welcome. And we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Wouldn't yeah. it be great if we had an ad? God, it would be amazing. Let us know if you want to advertise with us. Yeah. Nathan, I assume. Yeah. All right, well, welcome back to the Pink Floyd Fellas. Uh, although today we should have called it the Sid Barrett Boys, am I right? We're just Oh, hey now. Yeah. You're getting fancy on us, Pete. We're talking Sid Barrett's solo career. Um, so we talked about the Madcap Laughs, and then now uh, we're going to cover his second and final solo album titled Barrett. So madcap laughs went going to number 40 on the uk charts did well enough for emi to approve a second album mm-hmm. and sid headed pretty much straight back into the studio uh with davy producing uh and okay. then rick uh rick wright and jerry shirley also coming to play on it so davy surely you're right <laughs> yeah do you think they made that joke a lot a lot they said in that. about 10 years this will be in a famous movie uh, so Davey insisted that they record the album more structured this time and more like a band with him playing bass, Rick playing keys, Jerry playing drums, and then Sid kind of, you know, being the songwriter, being the guitarist, being the like band leader, quote unquote, um, to try and get some structure 
about around the sessions and it somewhat worked i mean like i think when we hear this it's produced better it's recorded better uh they recorded it in about half the time of madcap laughs so mm-hmm. it worked overall i mean we'll see obviously when we get to it our opinions on the music on whether it made for better music but uh anyway so and recording went fairly smoothly overall um although i did find a couple fun quotes from jerry uh, who noticed more of Sid's eccentricities this time around, apparently. Um, so he got really annoyed with him? Yeah, so here's one thing that we were kind of talking about on the first one, too. But he said, apparently Sid wouldn't ever play the same thing twice. So sometimes the takes were brilliant and sometimes not. Um, and then also it got frustrating sometimes because he would play like a little lick or solo or something and they'd go like, yeah. oh, that's awesome. You should, you know, put that in here. And he's like, ah. and then he would do it, but he'd do it differently the next time. It wasn't like the, I guess, and it's not like, I don't think the idea is that he doesn't remember or whatever. It's just that like, he just, he's not ever playing the same thing twice, basically. It could always, be that he doesn't remember. It could I've be that too. definitely played some cool shit and then been like, how did I do that? Yeah. Fuck, I'll never remember. Yeah. So anyway, but a little bit into the mind of, of Sid Barrett, but, oh, and then also, yeah, getting into our takes conversation on the last one on one of the songs on this album, they did 15 takes until the 15th one was so perfect that Jerry was like, how did you not do that at least one other time in 15 takes? Like you can be that perfect (laughs) and yet it took 15 takes. So that's really funny. Also, similarly to just saying that's funny about what key we're in or whatever, apparently Sid directing the band, uh, which I'm surprised we didn't hear more of this from Piper at the Gates of Dawn, but I guess they were all maybe a little more young and into it back then. But apparently Sid would give directions like, perhaps we could make the middle darker and maybe the end a little mid-afternoon-ish. <laughs> mid-afternoon-ish is the most pretentious phrase I've ever heard. Or things like, at the moment it's too windy and icy. <laughs> wow. So... Yeah, if you didn't... Well, with Pink Floyd, I kind of get that because they've got all that whoosh, whoosh, noises all the time, I feel like. Yeah. he, uh, Which is too windy, in my opinion. Uh, so, in June... So, this is all kind of spring 1970. In June of 1970, Sid performed his one and only solo concert uh, oh. with Davey and Jerry backing him up. Would you like to guess how many songs the concert lasted before Sid abruptly <laughs> left the stage? Four. perfect four songs (laughs) it lasted four songs before he just turned around and walked away and everyone went that oh okay sid barrett everyone yeah and then the other guys just jammed and yeah just bass and drums it's real (laughs) real big some real primus shit Yeah. yeah um so and then a lot less notes from this one honestly just because it went really smoothly um especially compared to madcap laughs with a lot of back and forth about everything so the album title or the album title the album cover the drawing of all the bugs uh was apparently some art that sid had done back when he was in cambridge and pulled out somewhere um and then an interesting thing sid was pretty down on his own material and i can't quite tell i guess i feel like i would need to maybe read a little bit more about sid it kind of feels like just the typical artist-ness of like, eh, I'm not really that good, though. Um, mm-hmm. But 
it's also just well, kind of interesting and like with him specifically feels a little bit sadder because it's like well do you also just think this because everyone's like that sid guy's crazy you know what i mean like so right. it feels a little bit sad but so this is a quote about madcap laughs he said it's quite nice but i'd be very surprised if it did anything if i were to drop dead i don't think it would stand as my last statement which wow i mean honestly piper at the gates of dawn is is better so i get that but whatever and then uh this was after barrett came out he said they've got to reach a certain standard and that's probably reached in madcap laughs once or twice and on this one only a little just an echo of that neither of them are much more than that (laughs) yeah he is really down on it which i get i mean brian wilson did the same thing where he was like yeah pet sounds is trash for like yeah 20 years after he made it yeah but then, you know, with this stuff, it's like <laughs> lo-fi demos a lot of it. So then you're like, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. It's not like that great. But also, I mean, you can think it's good. Like, I don't know. Um, so and then also in my in my reading or in my re- reading research for some Rolling Stone album reviews, I failed to find those. But I did find published December 1971, a Rolling Stone interview with Sid Barrett. If we, I, I'm going to oh, read some highlights from amazing. that. Amazing. It starts off... Oh, yeah. Who's it written by? Uh, It doesn't say. It just says by Rolling Stone. Great. No one wanted to take credit for this one. Well, let me check. No, at the bottom, they just say it's from the December 23rd issue. Okay. Uh, Okay. If you tend to believe what you hear, Sid Barrett is either dead, behind bars, or a vegetable. (laughs) Damn. He's, in fact, alive and as confusing as ever in the town where he was born, Cambridge. Let's see. Cambridge is an hour's train ride from London. Sid doesn't see many people these days. Visiting him is like intruding a very private world. I'm disappearing, he says. He seems very tense and ill at ease, hollow-cheeked and pale. His eyes reflect a permanent state of shock. He has a ghostly beauty. His hair is short now, uncombed, the wavy locks gone. The velvet pants and new green snakeskin boots show some attachment to the way it used to be. Mostly I just waste my time, he said. I'm sorry I can't speak very coherently. It's rather difficult to think of anybody being interested in me. But you know, man, I am totally together. Okay. Occasionally, Sid responds directly to a question. Mostly his answers are fragmented and a stream of consciousness. He says things like, I'm full of dust and guitars. (laughs) The only work I've done the last two years is interviews. I'm very good at it. Although Didn't he just say, I'm not very good at it? He said, I'm not answering many questions. And then, typical early Rolling Stone fashion, they make a weirdly obvious factual error. They say, in fact, Sid has made three albums in the, that time. So from 1969 to 1971, produced by the Floyd. He is not. He made two, uh, and they were produced by Pink Floyd. But... I don't know what they're talking about. Because then they say the Madcap laughs. His second one was pretty good. Was pretty good, but that's not his second. He didn't. Ha- there was no first solo album. I don't, like I literally don't know what they think happened. That they just made up an album out of thin air. Because <laughs> I did a lot of research after this to make sure we weren't accidentally missing some Sid Barrett solo album. And no, maybe they're thinking of like Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which is basically a Sid Barrett album. But then they say. He's made three albums in the last two years produced by the Floyd, where it's like, I don't, I don't What know. year was this from? 1971. That doesn't make any no, sense. No, none of it makes any sense. So, anyway. 
Uh, so he still paints, which is a somewhat famous Sid Barrett thing that I know of. That like when he was older in like the two thousands, when people kind of uh, you know found him again and interviewed him, I think that was the thing where he like just painted for thirty years, basically. Yeah, that sounds right. It's just like John Lennon in that movie Yesterday. Yeah. Uh, his favorite musician is Jimi Hendrix. Cool. Good call. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to just make sure if there's other interesting things. <laughs> He'd like to get another band together, quote, but I can't find anybody. That's the problem. I don't know where they are. I mean, I've got an idea that there must be people to play with. If I was going to play properly, I should need some people. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's such like a polite young British man. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Oh, he says, I'll show I you a book of all my songs before you go. I think, it's, I think it's exciting. I'm glad you're here, which then just kind of sounds sad. But Yeah, he just sounds like he's a recluse who's like, I have a friend now. Yeah, he produces. Well, do you think he doesn't know where the people are because he's not really looking for them because yes. they're not inside his house at the moment? He produces a folder containing all his recorded songs to date, neatly typed with no music. Most of them stand alone <laughs> as written pieces. Uh, a real Jim Morrison type. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just handed him a book of poetry, basically. Sid thinks people who sing their own songs are boring, but he has never recorded anyone else's. <laughs> yeah. He's very proud to show off his new 12-string Yamaha guitar in the interview. Ooh, a Yamaha. Yeah. He... Oh, the guitar is new to him, but he polished it yesterday. Okay, that was confusing. Sorry. He's bragging about how he polished it, apparently. <laughs> um, although, so we missed this from the Floyd days. He mentions in the interview playing a guitar that had mirrors on it, which sounds yeah cool and psychedelic as shit. And but I don't think yeah. we ever saw or that I don't think that guitar ever came up. So that's pretty. I don't think cool. we talked about it. Yeah. It's also said he apparently swapped it for a different one that he never played, which is really sad. <laughs> yeah. That is sad. Sid is 25 now and worried about getting old. I wasn't always this introverted, he says. I think young people should have fun, but I never seem to have any. Oh. He says he doesn't take acid anymore, but he doesn't want to talk about it. Um, This sounds like an interview with him at yeah. 65 years old. Yeah, it's it's both endearing and funny and then also like r really sad. So, yeah, I feel bad yeah. for the guy. So there we go. A little missive from Sid. Uh, Yeah, so that's, I mean, kind of. Kind of Barrett or that's kind of the notes I had for the recording of Barrett. So let's go ahead and get in to the track by track. It was released in November 1970 and it failed to chart. And basically ended his short solo career. Oh, I will that say just real quick. So the musicians. So Sid. Uh, we got Booker T and the MGs, baby. Yeah. So Sid uh, plays the guitars, obviously, and sings. Uh, Davey played bass. He also played some 12-string guitar, some slide guitar. And Mama sang tenor. On one song, yep. Uh, and then played some organ and drums and produced. Rick Wright played a bunch of pianos and organs and produced. They had a tuba player for which cool. the last song. And then yeah, Jerry Shirley played drums and then Willie Wilson's also credited again on this one for playing drums. I wonder so had, if there wasn't a track from 
the first time. You said Rick Wright played keys and stuff. Yeah. Did any other Floyd member, did you say? No, just, just him and Rick. Davey played on this one, and then Davey yeah. and Roger produced the first one. But I think gotcha. Davey only played like a little bit on the first one. They barely did. Yeah. And then on this one, he... What did you say Davey did on this one? Nothing? No, he played he played guitar and bass. Okay, okay. Um, oh, I did forget, sorry. There's a good quote from Rick about this one, too. So, doing Sid's record was interesting, but extremely difficult. Davey and Roger did the first one, and Dave and myself did the second one. But by then, it was just trying to help Sid any way we could, rather than worrying about getting the best guitar sound. You could forget about that. It was just going into the studio and trying to get him to sing. Which is interesting, That's because right. at least listening to this album, this one sounds to me more like Sid's in it, and it's more put together. Whereas the mm. first one sounds like the album where it's just like, Sid, please just finish the take and we're done for the day, you know. Yeah. This one does not sound like that to me, but we'll see. That is interesting. So yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Barrett's uh, the first track, Baby Lemonade, which does sound like a Donovan name. <laughs> Donovan it title does. name. I mean, already better recorded than the last one. Right? And a really nice guitar riff. Um, apparently, this guitar riff, he was just messing around one day, and Davey got it on mic and cut it in to the beginning of this song as an intro. It wasn't supposed hmm. to be on there. So, good production from Davey. That is impressive. This is also, like, a pretty impressive kind of riff to just be, like, fucking around with, you know? Yeah, well, especially because when he's trying on the last album, he can barely play chords, and then he's, like, messing around on this and is crushing it, so... You think he gets nervous when the mic's on? Probably, yeah. It's already a much larger, more produced sound. Oh, yeah. In the See, and this one, really love the music on it. His voice is annoying. I say this with the most, like the in the meanest way possible. His voice and the vocal takes in this album kind of make me think of like the Decemberists or some shit, and it pisses me off. It doesn't sound good. I don't like it. It's too nasally. Like, he sounds like an annoying white guy from the 2000s with, like, big black frame glasses on. Decemberists, I think, might be the wrong thing, because I don't think Colin Malloy is very nasally at all. Oh, Colin Malloy is the worst, though. I hate his voice. I can do a really good Colin Malloy impression. Go ahead. Hit us with it. I can't, I can't do it while You have to be able playing. to do it over any song, PJ. Oh, okay. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not a good impression. I can't. I can't do it. I'm too nervous. It's not. It's not this song specifically. There is another song later on that, like, just for some reason, really reminds me of the Decemberists. But so that was kind of my first go-to. I agree. I, I think his voice does sound weirder on this album, but I can't quite put my finger on it. All the songs. But. This song's solid. I agree. It's like a lot better produced already. Yeah. It and it's taking like kind of the aspects of Pink Floyd. Where it's like that weird trippy riff stuff, but condensing it from about 15 minutes to like, you know, they get 20 seconds a song or whatever, yeah. which 
I'm very appreciative of. But and like truly, if his voice just sounded better on this, it'd be a phenomenal song, I think. Well, this but was I, only take one, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you gotta hand it to the guy. Let's go ahead and get to love song. What the fuck? Also take one. Never in my life has my phone made that noise when I go to the next song. I don't know. I knew a girl and I like her still. She said this she just is reminiscent of the fucking gnome shit from before, you know? Which annoyed me. Time she was back by her open eyes. I knew that I this is the kind of music that you would think would be on um, All Things Must Pass if you just looked at the album cover. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I kind of like this nope. song. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's definitely not bad. It's pleasant to listen to. Yeah, it's going to be a pass for me, dog. Um, uh, Rick Wright just always bringing heat on the keys, though. Uh, let's go ahead and get to Domino's. Now it's about doing the pizza restaurant. Is your sound thing on, like the little switch on the side? No, I turned okay. it off. Yeah, that's really weird. Maybe it's because I'm on low power mode. Let's turn that shit off. This is just about a nice song at home with the wife watching Netflix. You and I in Domino's. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Domino's is my least favorite pizza restaurant. Really? What's the best uh, like delivery, you know, classic delivery place? I think we're looking yeah. at a big four of, of the Hut, the Johns, the Domino's. My go-to Am I answer. Forgetting one? I feel like there's. They do not deliver, one. but Little Caesars is the best cheap pizza. Oh, okay. Interesting. I think. Um, but if I'm gonna go for pizza like that, it's usually not gonna be Domino's. Um, we also, the town I live in is a very small town, and that is one of the three restaurants we have is a Domino's pizza. Um, there is another one, right? I I feel like there has to be. But I'm really blanking after those three. I mean, usually I'm going to go to a local place, but if we're talking big names. No, not near me. I just want general. This song's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's all right. Uh, Let's get to It Is Obvious. Are you also looking up pizza restaurants, or is that just me? Yes. <laughs> like the most popular pizza in the U.S., and the thing that came up was pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, idiot. You had to Google that? <laughs> I mean, if... 
if truly anything counts, then Costco is the best cheap pizza. Yeah. Because Costco pizza is like on another level, dog. Well, maybe you're right. I'm like, because I was kind of thinking Papa Murphy's, but they, de- I mean, they don't deliver, obviously. So that right. would be on the same level as Little the Caesars. The top 10, Pizza Hut, Domino's, Little Caesars, Papa John's, Papa Murphy's, California Pizza Kitchen, Marco's Pizza, Round Table Pizza, Mellow Mushroom, and CeCe's, which, um, growing up in Anaheim, we only had the top five of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of... We didn't yeah. have California Pizza Kitchen and below. No. Um, but I think I would go Little Caesars, dog, if we're going for cheap That's pizza. truly wild. You and Paul both hold that opinion, and it's terrible. But if we were in person, we would do on Fake Bands Real Music. We can cut this out. It's fine. But if we were in no, person on Fake Bands Real Music, we'd do a pizza showdown where every show for, like, six weeks in a row, we would get a different pizza and then rate them all and then... <laughs> There's already a show right. that does that. It's called Doughboys. No, I know, but I'm saying we would just fold it into fake bands real music because we do like pizza in a movie. That would be funny. We should do that and just have it not make any sense. Um, I but, don't have access I, to many of these I pizza don't places. agree. I think Little Caesars is, is really, really terrible. And I think Domino's is the best one if it's going to be like nationwide chain. Dude, if we're going cheap delivery, I'm going Pizza Hut every See, time. See, Pizza Hut used dog. to be, but they've changed their recipe too much. They fucked it up At now. Pizza Hut? Yeah. They've changed their recipe a lot. I feel like Domino's every three years is like, sorry our pizza was so shitty, guys. Let's change it again. No, they only they did like, that the one time a few years ago. And it was terrible before that. But No, because Pizza Hut, pizza Hut had their best iteration of my life around when we were in like high school, college. And then since then, they have changed it, I think, three times. So, And every time it's been different and also bad. Well, also, everybody who knows me knows my favorite restaurant is Pizza Hut in the UC at the University of Montana. Exactly. It's my favorite, re- which doesn't exist anymore, I guess. Oh, damn. This song is pretty good. Eh. None of these songs are that, they're kind of boring. Like, the last songs, even oh. though they were... I mean, Peter, I think we talked over three to- songs while we were just talking about pizza. It's all boring. Let's get to but rats. But the organ on it's pretty good. Yeah, no, Rick Wright's always going to sling heat, but... Uh-huh. Just like me in Louisiana Fast. Exactly. But the songs themselves are, like, not great. The melodies aren't great. I don't know. They're all, like, the exact same mid-tempo shit. It's been long enough that we haven't said that. Yeah. This song sounds like he's making fun of other songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds so much like Spinal Tap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, and again, this is on the first half of an album. Not even just take one, they just call it demo. Yeah. This is not a take, this is just a demo. I don't know how they, I don't know what the line is there, but. Um, It wasn't supposed to go on the album. That's what I would say. Let's go ahead and get to Maisie. I mean, it is, it is a good sign of, like, a, this, uh, of an artist's output when, like, the reissue or extended versions on this one and, and Madcap Laughs, it's only alternate takes of the existing songs. There were no extra songs. 
there was no choice of like putting on a different song or not like these were yeah. the songs Sid had that's it yeah his folder that he handed that guy must have not been all that big yeah it's about 30 songs total <laughs> this to me is early Pink Floyd and I it's just not I'm a huge fan of it I, I actually kind of like it but and I mean I know two of the five Pink Floyd guys are on this song but I kind of think yeah. this would have been sick as hell if it was on Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Because, like, the blues rockness interspersed yeah. with, or, like, cross-cut with their psychedelic stuff would have been pretty cool, I think. You keep saying that, like, oh, this would have sounded so great on Piper, but I don't think anything sounded great on Piper. Oh, I know you didn't, but I did. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I, ju- I'm just yeah. goofing around. I actually kind of like this, but only because I think it's very different than all the other, you know, psychedelic kind of folky songs. And so the blues. The guitar on it sounds like Link Ray a little bit, which I like. Like, it's got cool old school, like, punk tone kind of. But I don't know. It's just boring. He just says Maisie a bunch. Let's go ahead and get to Gigolo Aunt. I think it'd be Gigolo Ant based on the album cover. That's funny. Was this just Davy Gilmore's like production and album ordering style where let's just put the best song as the beginning of side two? I don't I don't dislike it. We talked about ordering a lot in the past, and that's definitely a, yeah. a method you can take. It's valid. But he's done that for both the Sid Barrett albums so far, because this song slaps. This is the best one. Unlike anything on the first half. Yeah. Yeah. It also doesn't make any sense in a way that is like... Like, to him, I'm sure he's like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about, but no one else in the world... Like, if you go to Genius Lyrics, it just has a question mark. Yeah. But it's also... I mean, also, I know I like it's a fine, guitar. it's it's a very fine line, and yeah. one that I think is highly subjective, but it's like, we're not that far away from I Dig a Pony, by just saying, this song's gigolo aunt. Like, it's, yeah. it's not really any different. So, in Sid's defense, is all I'm trying to say. Psychedelia no, I, comes in all sorts of fashions. I'm saying I like that. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, I wasn't... On this song, I will say I like it on this song specifically. Yeah. Probably because this is, I think I'm going to call it now, Pete, the best song that Sid Barrett did solo. Whoa. That's crazy because Octopus rules. Octopus is fine. I like. I think I just like the bass line because the bass line is... Just, I think I like the production of this a lot because yeah. the organ sounds good. good too. It is Rick's good. fucking killing it as per usual. I'm gonna go to waving my arms in the air. I do now that you mentioned it. I don't think I really picked up on that sick ass like kind of clean kind of distorted like super trebly guitar tone but you're right that it's really nice it's pretty good 
And usually I wouldn't like it, but in the whole mix of things, it sounds great on this album. Yeah. Yeah. This one's also good. I like this one. Once again, it's the voice. It's the voice that I'm like, that takes it down a notch. If it was somebody else singing, yeah, it'd be a good song. Yeah. You know what's weird? This is so off base, but I feel like it's apropos for talking about a Sid Barrett album. When you remember the Eagles documentary that came out a long time ago, it was on Netflix, I want to say, and it was kind of famous. Was it called Take It Easy? No, well, maybe, but it was like it was like a three or four hour documentary, and it was oh, it yes. was kind of big when it came out because it was like the first time that all the guys had like at the History same time, of the Eagles. yeah, like talked about their fallout and everything. Yeah. And so I watched it for the drama, and it wasn't as dramatic as the internet made it out to be. So I was disappointed and turned it off after like halfway through. But well, the one you got to listen to Eagle songs in there, and that's not worth it. Well, the one thing that I remember for some reason from that documentary, I don't know why this like quote stuck in my head forever, but I forget who it was. It wasn't Glenn Fry, or wait, which one's the lead singer, Don Henley or Glenn Fry? All of them at certain eh, points. The most famous. Joe Walsh one, is there too. Uh, I would say Glenn Fry is the most famous singer. This is I Never Lied to You by Sid Barrett. I think Glenn Fry is who you're thinking. Because it's Glenn Fry, Don Henley, Don Fielder, Joe Walsh. See, I think I'm thinking of Don Henley. But which one went which one went solo afterwards and had the huge hit in like nineteen eighty one or two or whatever? Joe Walsh. No. Rocky Mountain Way. No. Jesus. He had like a more pop hit. I don't follow the Eagles, man. Okay. Well, now I have to look stuff up because I don't remember. Also, two Dons in that band? Get I double clutched on which one it was, so now I can't just say. It's like having two people named Mick in a band. Or two people named Paul on a podcast. Are you thinking of Glenn Fry? He did Tequila Sunrise. I'm thinking of Glenn Fry, and I think I'm thinking of The Heat Is On as oh, like I don't know his that big song. early 80s hit. It was written for the American film Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, I've seen that. Is it the one that goes do, 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 Oh, you know what? Okay, I'm getting it confused. So I think Glenn Fry is the singer I'm thinking of who... He's the singer I'm thinking of that the quote is about. Don Henley is the singer I'm thinking about who went solo in the early 80s and had the hits. And the hit I'm thinking of is The Boys of Summer. That's the song I'm thinking uh, of. That, that that makes so much more sense to me. Yes. So I got it confused because, yes, there's two of them. That song's okay. But. Wind and dined. But one of them, one of the non, one of those non-guys one of the other Eagles yeah. was talking about one them. One of the Dons. Yeah. One of them talking about, or they were talking about breaking up or they were talking about how they all hated each other. And he was like, yeah, Glenn was a fucking asshole, but he insisted on singing lead on all these songs. And how do you say no to him singing lead on all these songs? Basically. Cause he's so good. Like if you've got him in your yeah. band, you have to let him sing lead, even though he's such a dick about it. 
Yeah. And I can tell that I'm becoming an old man, that I'm almost on the wrong side of 30. Because the other day, this is some serious XM chat. The other day I was driving around in an Eagles song. I don't even remember which one. Hopefully one that he sang, <laughs> not the other guy. But an Eagles song came on and I was like, God damn it. The Eagles, like between Glenn Fry and Don Henley, they do just have incredible voices. Like they really are some of the better singers of all time. And they're right. If you guys, if you have those guys in their band, no matter how big a dicks they are, they gotta sing lead because they're so fucking good. Which I I totally get that because Joe Walsh was in that band and Joe Walsh later had a career um, and he cannot sing. Rocky Mountain no. Way. He had I a think career I've before brought then this too. Up James so many Gang, times. baby. And solo but, um, stuff, I think, for a while before them, too, I feel like. I think that quote might be about Don Henley, because they did really share both of them, and yeah. I think Don Henley was the asshole. I think Glenn yeah, Fry yeah. was a nice guy. Yeah. I don't super remember, though. Probably. But Well, and the, it's mean, also confusing, because, like, generally, I, like, I can't really the tell them apart, because I yeah. I listen to the Eagles so casually, basically only on the radio, and yeah. so I, I don't really know their voices, you know, so... Anyway, but I also, I'll say this, I really like a lot of Eagles stuff, man. Like a, I don't. Like a lot of Eagles stuff, it turns out. They're they're all over Sirius XM. They are constantly on rotation there, and I have learned that I really like some Eagles. I can't do it. I just, it's so annoying to You me. don't like Lion Eyes? No, I hate, the, I don't. Oh, Lion Eyes You know great. this about me. My least favorite thing about the Beach Boys is that there's too many harmonies. Oh, and see, so I love e- that about the yeah. Eagles when they jump in with sorry, like the sorry, stack. Sorry, Pete, I, I I don't want to correct you. It is not the Eagles, by the way. I know the I name know. of the band is just. Eagles, I know it's so. the dumbest shit of all time. It's also technically only Rolling Stones. So. No, that's not true. Well, no, it's the Rolling Stones, but the isn't capitalized. <laughs> that's oh, the dumbest okay. part. Yeah. Is that it's like it's the Rolling Stones, but it's only the because you can't really say it's Rolling Stones. The yeah. band. That's annoying. Yeah. This album, if you couldn't tell, was really boring to me. Nothing about it really grabbed me. It was like I liked, I liked that one song. I think, I like that these are songs though. Yes. That I like more than the Pink Floyd stuff. The production is really really good. It sounds like yeah. an actual album. Like it sounds like Sid was this focused is and everything. Wolfpack. But this album. Just from a songwriting perspective, I would rather listen to the most shittily recorded, like, Sid forgetting chords songs, as long as they're interesting and kind of catchy and have some interesting stuff going on, which I thought a lot of yeah. Madcap laughs, laughs did. This album, to me, just is kind of bland. Yeah. Um, speaking of bland, um, I texted Paul and I said, if you had to pick one cheap pizza place pizza chain to eat at the rest of your life what would it be he said hmm probably little caesars maybe pizza hut though honestly wow is what he said so you and paul are just the same it's are you how did how do we record podcasts with with both of you because if you're also just playing paul as like a different character like a version of yourself then that's strange I really like school. Of I just pretend to have a friend who just backs up all my opinions if I'm in an argument with a different friend. <laughs> yeah. It really helps because then you just look super cool. So this is the last Sid Barrett album. Uh, apparently, so he apparently did a little bit of work with Stars in 1972. I never knew this. Oh. Um, oh, no, not the Stars that I know. Never mind. Not the famous band called Stars. 
from Canada. Uh, <laughs> Literally, band? the first thing on the Wikipedia page link is Stars, not to be confused with Stars, the other band. Yeah, that sounds right. They were a short-lived British supergroup that paid a number of live concerts in Cambridge in February 1972. So Sid found some people. Sid Barrett on guitar, Twink on drums. Twink? I don't know. He was a central figure in the English psychedelic movement. And Jack Monk on bass. I think it's very funny that we both thought it could be the Canadian band Stars, even though they're like 2000s. No, I thought Stars started in the 70s. Oh, no. Who am I thinking? Montreal, Canada, 2000s. Big Star. You're thinking of the band Big Star. No. Sparks. That's who I'm thinking of. Sparks are from the 70s. They're a pop duo. Yes. Um, anyway, so he had a little band called Stars for a minute and then also tried recording but never released anything from 1974. And so that was... That was it. Um... Yeah, and that's pretty much it. I think there's one unreleased song that turned up on a Best of Sid Barrett from like from 2001 it looks like, but otherwise Excuse me. Otherwise like this is the entire Barrett recorded output. So what do we um, what are our I, thoughts? Well, real quick. Yeah. I do kind of like this inter- not interstitial, but like this um what the instrumental section I think is really good in this song. Like the last two minutes of this song, I think is really good. Um, I think it seems like Sid Barrett um, got into music on accident and then really hated recording, um, but was like, this well, is just what touring. you do. <laughs> and to, he just really didn't like doing music. But that's like what he was already doing. He was like, I already have a career and there's like a background here. Um, and so he just kept doing it until he was like, oh, I don't actually like this. And then stopped, which was smart. Um, because I really think he's a great guitarist. Um, I don't know if he's that great of a songwriter personally. Um, no, I think I that's his bet. I think that's his his most valuable. I, I, I guess I, what I mean is not. I'm not talking about lyrically. Oh, okay. I think his lyrics are really pretty good i just mean like composing he's not a great composer of songs but i think he's i think his lyrics are good i think his guitar playing is good i think he just hates doing it though and i think those two his guitar playing this is effervescing elephant um i think those two don't really necessarily go together so well his guitar playing and his lyrics um i think I don't know. It just, to me, seems like he's a guy who's really good at guitar, but does not want to do music particularly and is not very talented at doing music. That's what I think. And, I mean, obviously he hated, like, didn't like it enough to the point where he stopped after this, pretty much, you know? Well, that's making me think of one of the quotes I skipped over because it's kind of a nonsense quote, but I think Sid's trying to get at what you're talking about. But this is from that Rolling Stone interview. So he goes in circles and doesn't actually say anything. But all I wanted to do as a kid was play guitar properly and jump around, but too many people got in the way. It's always been too slow for me playing the pace of things. I mean, I'm a fast sprinter. The trouble was after playing in a group for a few months, I couldn't reach that point. I may seem to get hung up because I'm frustrated at work-wise terribly, 
The fact is I haven't done anything this year. I've probably been chattering and explaining that away like anything. But the other bit about not working is that you do get to think theoretically. Yeah. But he kind of seems like he's trying to say, like, I, I want to do music, but I can't do music or, like, don't really know how to actually make it To happen. me, I think he would have been a great, like, Jimmy Page or Pete Townsend, somebody who writes the lyrics for the band but does not really compose. Well, I guess they both kind of composed. He should just be a lead guitarist. He shouldn't, in a not band like Pink Floyd, in a straight up rock yeah. band or blues band, I think he would be phenomenal. Because yeah. he's like, he's obviously talented. I know he hates doing takes and stuff, but like, maybe it'd be better if he just got to do guitar. Because that's what that quote sounded like to me. He's just like, I just want to play guitar. And like, I don't want to be in charge of anything else. So if he was like a, you know, like a Jimmy Page-esque or like Slash-esque person who like, their guitar, that's what they do. Maybe that would be, I don't know, good for him, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's talented. I don't know that he's talented at guitar, maybe less talented at most of the other aspects of music. Yeah. But then he was forced to be in charge of Pink Floyd for the time he was in it and then charged right. to be forced to be in charge of this. And I think, yeah, I think he would have done well in a band where he was not in charge. He was just the guitar guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't, I mean, yeah, he kind of seems like the personality where he wouldn't have been able to stick with anything that long anyway, but yeah, I agree that it feels like the pressure d- it does not help at all. And then also the pressure of being brought back into the studio to do your solo stuff and then have all your friends stand around and be like, we're here to help you. Why? Like try harder, Sid yeah. and stuff, you know, and maybe yeah. he would have been a great musician if, you know, the technology that was out in like even the early 2000s where you could just record. Yeah. And like you didn't need a whole big studio to do it. Like digital recording, if that was available to him, maybe he would have had some like really killer lo-fi like demo kind of stuff. Right. Um, But, you know, it wasn't around, so we'll never know. But yeah. I, I think he's an interesting guy. And I think there's oh, for sure some creativity there, but I just think it was not maybe used in the best way around the, the era. Yeah, it's one of those kind of disappointing things where I feel like you can, or for me, I can hear, excuse me, I can hear how influential he is. Like, I just, yeah, kind of like listening to some of those weird early Beach Boys tracks where you're like, why they're, or like the Velvet Underground, where they're coming up with sounds. They'll like do a song where you're like, this sounds like everything that was made, but 30 years later. Yeah. And like, but wasn't done at all in between that. Like they were just 30 years ahead of the curve. And I feel like he is to some degree like so far ahead of the curve that he was just way yeah it just didn't work at all in the moment they and didn't then, know what to do with him at yeah, the time they didn't know what to yeah. do with him and then also i mean even not that i think even with the mental health kind of issues and the drug issues where like they they obviously tried to help him but i think it was just a really different thing um and probably especially like I would imagine living in like London in the sixties, even, you know, if friends were trying to get you to go to a psychiatrist, even if you went there, it probably wasn't like the greatest experience with a like old stuffy guy in London in the sixties trying to talk to you about like your troubles on acid. And so like, it also just just feels like it it also just feels like, yeah, I kind of agree. Like not only was his musical sensibility kind of way out of time, but, it feels like, yeah, he maybe could have 
could have gotten better help or the help that he needed uh yeah in a different time too in kind of a sad way so which you hit on something earlier where you're like they're like 30 years ahead of their time because pink floyd will kind of mimic that in a couple albums where i feel like there's some stuff that 20 years after they recorded it everybody copied you know and you know i just i i wish i could say i liked it more because i think there are some good ideas but i just i think he was not well used i think yeah i do feel like though he's one of those guys even if you don't like the music you can at least appreciate kind of what what he offered i suppose yeah did you for sure did we do an album rating for barrett uh not yet nope i'm gonna go ahead and give it a two it's really not for me great the two is the production (laughs) or the two is gigolo ant i guess i might give it a three okay because i like that it's actual songs and to me we're talking about pink floyd and there's so few real songs and it just drives me crazy yeah that this was kind of refreshing for me um and the production was good and i liked gigolo ant and a few of those other ones on the b-side they're a little bit boring but they're like like yeah. this is one there's a lot of pink floyd stuff that if i put on at a party that we've talked about so far i'll say that if i put on at a party people would be like dog this is not it but if i put this on like you know not at a party but just like hanging out with friends it'd be fine nobody would be like this is the weirdest shit i've ever heard in my life you know yeah, yeah. so well i kind of appreciate yeah. that that has been the career the musical career, I should say. We'll get into his paintings on a later episode. Uh, the career of Sid Barrett. We'll describe them all to you yeah. while eating pizza. Um, exactly. Combo episode. Uh, combo pizza. And a combination pizza. That has been Sid Barrett. Uh, we'll return next week with more Pink Floyd to fill your ears. And uh, until the next time, we'll see you on the other side of that dark globe. Yeah. A Beach Boys Boys production.